My name is Brie Castellini. I used to be a spy. My name is Chris Cherry. I used to have hope. You've definitely done that before. And this, have I done that like before? before, is Burn Notice, a weekly rewatch of the USA television masterpiece Burn Notice about Michael Weston, a spy. Yeah, I think you used it like two weeks ago. This, oh my God, wow. Chris is has been quarantine for quite time. <laughs> what is this podcast about, Chris? Uh, what are we doing? Throughout this it, podcast, we will be rating each episode on whether it is an episode of television, a great episode of television, or a great episode of Burn Notice. If you want to know what complicated calculations go into these ratings, wait until the end, where we'll explain them to you, my sweet, sweet babies. Also, if you or anyone you know knows Jeffrey Donovan, please get in touch. You can send us questions, suggestions, compliments, and absolutely no criticism of any kind to burnnoticedpodcast at gmail.com or to our Twitter at burnnoticedpod. That is burnnoticed with a D. I feel like there is a little bit of Patrick Warburton and your delivery of that today. Was it? That's exciting. Yeah. I've been, I've noticed that uh, since I've developed this cough, which don't worry, listeners, uh, is not COVID. You will, you're not going to get rid of me that easily. I just have an unrelated cough. Um, but since I had this cough, I've been recording lots of podcasts because I have like eight now and I've been a guest on a bunch of them recently. And I've gone very deeply into like radio DJ style because when I start to feel a cough coming on mid-sentence, uh, the only way to control it is to like power through and my voice is also deeper when I'm coughing just because like that's how I control it is I get very deep and blah 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 so like <laughs> combined with like my deeper register anyways and the fact that I'm trying to power through a sentence a lot of times it's like the radio DJ style is the way to best manage finishing a sentence with a cough without being able to hear the cough and maybe that's kind of Patrick Warburton's vibe yeah no that's like his vibe it's a very deep voice so it's like yeah, that actually makes sense but yeah my voice gets a lot deeper when i'm coughing i don't know why i don't know either if, if any you, of you are uh, doctors or scientists send us an email yeah if also you're if you like, have a job and for chris send us an email yeah, i assume chris you too. still need a job yeah but yeah or if you're just like yeah if you are a esophagus scientist <laughs> specifically that scientist. if you are any other kind of scientist you could fuck off yeah or if you're actually no if you're like a speech training person uh, you should tell me, and then also uh, give me speech training. What's this episode of Burnout Us, Brie? Well, it's episode five of season four. It's called Neighborhood Watch. It aired July 1st, 2010. Was written by Michael Horowitz, friend of the pod. Uh, friend of me of the pod? <laughs> friend of me of the pod. Acquaintance of the pod. Yeah, I think Michael Horowitz, frenemy of the pod, makes the most sense. He wrote this episode, yeah. and the episode was directed by Kevin Bray, who I think we've seen at least once before. He made the USA rounds during the time that Burn Notice was on, and then went on to work on shows like Dear White People and Insecure. So he escaped and is doing quite well for himself. Congratulations, Kevin Bray. Yay. Uh, I have thoughts about... Um, front of me of the pods writing in this episode which i was not overly impressed by which was very I disappointing we'll get to it. i was so it excited was when i saw his name and i was like oh yes finally. i was too <sighs> you um, done me dirty and i'm mad at you well we'll we'll We're get in into fight that now. in the weeds but like before that you have to read the imdb description 
Oh, yes, of course. The final gatekeeper to the weeds, the IMDb description, which reads, while Kendra the Assassin, who, if you'll remember, is uh, the lady from Numbers, the show that we're going to watch after Burn Notice, tries to set up a meeting with Michael to get a stolen computer disc, the gang tries to help a clinic doctor who is being harassed by neighborhood drug dealers. That sure is what happens in this episode. Before I go off this moral coil, let's jump into the weeds. All right. Your mortal coil will decompose. God, Chris, I wasn't coughing all day. And then as soon as I start talking, I cough a ton. Yeah, because talking, like, irritates your throat. You're irritating my throat. I am, in a hobby fashion, an esophagus doctor. You're an esophagus hobbyist? I'm an esophagus hobbyist. All right. Michael starts the episode looking for a nerd with old ass equipment to read that tape drive that he found at the end of last episode in Kendra's wall. No dice. However, it turns out Kendra, a.k.a. the female love interest from Numbers, don't you forget it, is staking them out. So Michael and the gang devise a plot to turn the tables and snatch her up for some answers. Unfortunately, she is too slippery or maybe knows too much math. And after some sassy spy versus spy phone calls, we're at an impasse. Michael and Jesse discuss their options. Michael thinks he can get Kendra to buy the tape drive back off of him to draw her out of hiding again. But unfortunately, Team Jesse and Madeline have a different problem at hand. The case of the week! Oh no, a case of the week. How dare they? I know. Michael is, uh, of course, pissed. A nice community doctor named Lauren, played by Justina Machado, works at a clinic in a low-income neighborhood, and some drug dealers have decided to, quote, sling dope, literally, at the steps of the clinic. This is unacceptable. Jesse is righteously horrified. Maddie is delighted she has a new partner in crime for this kind of emotional manipulation. And Michael is annoyed that he has to work, and his new stepdad slash brother is giving him a hard time, too. Predictably, police are no help in this situation, and the problem just got worse because Lauren's boyfriend who opened the clinic has been asked not so politely to leave now that he's called the useless cops and he refuses because he's a good guy to leave. So Lauren gets the concerned girlfriend lower third, which I swear we've seen before, and now we are officially on the case. So let's- Yeah, there's like so many, (laughs) like, was it last week or the week before where we had concerned wife? I feel like we've had concerned- insert female character here in relation to the like we've had a concerned mother before we've had concerned wife yeah. concerned girlfriend like women in this show are only are allowed yeah they're well they're they're only allowed to exist in like relation to their male counterparts yeah i'm sure we've had a concerned sister at some point so this was automatically kind of frustrating to me because when i saw concerned girlfriend on there i was like wait is she not the client like i was surprised that she got a right? lower third that was not the client because she's the one that's hiring them. She's the one that like brought them a case and she is intrinsically involved in the case. She's a nurse slash doctor at the clinic herself. She just didn't happen to open it. But no, the client is the unwilling boyfriend of this woman who runs the clinic. And like, he's the one that we have to build up, which I have a lot of feelings about. It's also a thing that like Justina, Justina Machado is the name. She probably wasn't the name at the time, but, like, she's kind of the name I was of the wondering that. Yeah, I was wondering where she was in her career. You know what? Let's look that up. 2010 Justina Machado. What's what's up? She's on Dancing with the Stars right now. I hear she's doing quite well. Is she really? Oh, my goodness. Good for her. So she was on Ugly Betty a couple of years before, uh, was in a bunch of episodes of ER from 97 to 2009. Wait, so she was on ER, like... She had a recurring part on ER? 
Yeah, she was Claudia Diaz slash Ms. Cruz. She was in nine episodes over the course of the huh. year. So she had like an arc or something. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. She so was like, in yeah, but that's six feet under before this, right after burn notice. Well, I guess not right after, like two years after she was on private practice. Then she was on Murder Police, which is a Murder hilarious Police. name. Yeah, but is that like a Adult Swim show? It is like a Paul Shear show. Yeah, yeah, it, it's animated. Okay, cool. So we're a lot. We're willing to allow that she was probably not the Justina Machado at the time, but it is like she is clearly the strongest performer in this ensemble, and it's wild how underutilized she is. Because like something that we've always loved about Frenemy of the Pod, Michael Horowitz's scripts, is that he is not wasteful with anything. Everyone no, always has not. a purpose. Every detail has a callback. Like everything is usually so tightly woven. Um, and his script being one of the ones with like an ancillary female character who is like essentially scenery is really disappointing. Like there's a, there's several points in this episode where like she's just sort of in the car with them and does not have a line the entire scene. And it's like, why is she there? Slash why was she not the client. Like, who gives a shit about this boyfriend? She should have been the doctor who was, like, not wanting to, you know, wanting to stand her ground, not wanting to leave the neighborhood because the neighborhood needs this clinic and all of this stuff. Like, why was it not exactly. her role? Why did we have to have this other dude who didn't want to be there? I know. Is it because at the end of the episode, he has to be, like, sort of intimidating. But that's the thing is that it would have been so much cooler if they'd let Justina Machado be the one to make like the final I mean, it stand and been. be yes, like, it. I am a huge badass. Everybody back the fuck off. Yeah, I mean, it would have been. Also, the other thing about this premise is that it's such a like Barrios premise. Right? That was what, that was my whole vibe the whole time. I was like, this, this absolutely seems like a Barrios episode. Like, kids are sick and being used as props for bad guys. Yeah. Um, like, the girlfriend's there's like, like, there to there's, like, a diligent, like, good, decent, honest man mm-hmm. that is, like, up against, like, some real And he just balls. wants to call the police. Please, Michael Weston, can I please call the police? Yeah. Which he's done already, and that's why he's marked for death. Exactly. Yeah, so I, like, I'm already annoyed. I want Justina Machado, like, unrelated to the fact that I think she's incredible, her character is meaningless in this episode. So why have her there at all? It is really weird and dumb. And it's, Um, I mean, it's fucking classic procedural television where, like, the boys get to do all the fun stuff, but the women are the ones that are like, hey, idiot, hire these people to help you. But then the women get totally pushed aside. Like, once they've done their job of, like, introducing two men to each other, they just flitter into the background to become, like, an additional top of head in a shot. Yeah, no, it's really fucking stupid. It's, yeah. Um, It's 2010. We're better It is 2010. Justine Machado's already been on ER. She has been. That's how I mark time through is, Justina Machado's Is career. before ER and after ER specifically yeah. for Justina Machado's character? Exactly. What about the What about the while she was on ER period? Uh, that's the golden time. <laughs> that was the golden age of television. <laughs> that, was the go- that was the golden age of television. Jesus. Okay, I will say, because I remember watching the episode, I was thinking generally when Michael Horowitz does the script, there is something that's going on. Like, it's got more of a premise than just bad guys, good guys. It's usually got, mm-hmm. like, a concept or a thematic premise. 
And like, it took me a while to find the one that this one has. And it does have one, but it is like weird. And like, oh, yeah, it's the, sometimes you have to let people fight their own battles, even though that's yeah. absolutely not what the episode is about. Exactly. It's like nothing held up yeah. that premise. Yeah, it's weird. Anyway. Yeah, no, it's super weird. Because we'll, I think we'll that's an interesting idea and we'll get to it. But like, yeah. Anyways. So, so what happens next in this episode, Brie? What happens next is that we meet the clinic boyfriend, whose name is David, who is determined to continue calling the cops until things work out because vigilante justice, even well-meaning, is dangerous to a lawful society, which usually I agree with uh, for the most part. But David's being like a real stick in the Brie, mud about it. So he's annoying. The thing is, Brie loves cops. I do. If there's I... one thing that I feel like our audience has gotten <laughs> from this podcast is that Brie Castellini loves cops. I do. Brie Castellini thinks blue lives matter. <laughs> I don't just think they matter, Chris. I think they're better than other lives. Actually, yeah. you know what's funny is that today I was on Time Hop earlier. You know that app that like takes you back in time on all your social media to show yeah, you what a dick you were 10 years ago. Well, apparently the kind of dick I was one year ago is that uh, a man from who used to listen to the podcast, I assume no longer does, who either is a cop or knows cops, was like, we had made some comment in season one or two of this show about <laughs> cops being bad. I think we might have even just said, like, don't call the cops on people. It was in reference to that guy who turned out to be an assassin where Michael called the cops on him watching from afar to like see how he'd react if the cops came, you know, to determine if he was a real pencil pusher or not. And I think you and I just made like an offhand comment of like, oh yeah, by the way, don't call the cops on people. Just like, don't do that. Um, and somebody responded on Twitter and was like, basically trying to not all cops me. And <laughs> I went in on him. And I don't have the tweets from the burn notice account, but I have a tweet from my account responding to it, which says, my dude is trying to not all group of historically privileged and problematic authority figures me. Not on my burn notice podcast Twitter feed, sir. So, um, yeah, blue lives matter. Hashtag all cops are bastards, but the good kinds. The the good kind of bastard, like Jon yeah. Snow? Exactly, yeah. All cops are Jon Snow. <laughs> All cops Ake are Jon Snow. <laughs> you know nothing, officer. <laughs> uh, neither do we, because they keep turning off their body cams. Anyways, Michael talks David cop lover around, and we've now officially got a client, which, again... Fucking weird, since Lauren's the one that brought them the case, and Lauren is also working at this clinic and being, like, bugged by the drug dealers. But, nope, she's just the concerned girlfriend. Cool, cool, Who cool, does cool, not cool. have a personality. Nope. At all. Her no character, is, nothing. Her personality is worried about but stands stoically by her boyfriend. Like Stand all good women. by your man. <laughs> Uh, then Kendra calls. Kendra, if you'll remember, was the love interest in Numbers and also an assassin in Burn Notice. Uh, and Michael flirtatiously sets up a sale for the tape drive, which annoys Fee, who makes him take the bus home. And this is an interesting sequence for me because Jeffrey Donovan, it's like a single uh, shot. Like, if they don't cut around in it. Like, Fee leaves him on the street and is like, you can take the bus home. And Jeffrey Donovan is, like, clearly trying his best not to laugh. And then at the very end of the scene, it's like... It's a dangerous neighborhood with like that a, was a sad great little voice. It was a really funny moment, but but it was cut a little bit 
because he was clearly trying not to laugh for the entire scene. Uh, but it was an extremely funny button. It was a really great button. And I was, and that was a moment where I was like, oh, yeah, here's Michael Horowitz. Here's the one that I know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's Anyways. another thing where, like, I love it when this show makes Michael seem petty. <laughs> and it needs to happen more. Yeah, because he's so petty. He's constantly saying petty he, things, but in like his, you know, definitive man voice. And it's way exactly. funnier when he just like lets himself be a little shit dick. Exactly. Like, let him be a little shit dick. It's great. Hashtag let Michael Weston be a shit dick. Let's get that trending. <laughs> that'll that'll be our next Twitter campaign after everyone's saying nice things about us to win the DVD set. Yeah, of course. Which we may have already announced in this episode. Who knows? I'll cut it in eventually. So Sam and Fee stake out the drug dealers and discover that no one ever touches the money and the drugs at the same time, which I guess is smart. So the cops can't get both. But like the whole point of a drug deal, as far as I understand it, because I'm a narc and have never been in a drug deal, is that you exchange one for the other. So I'm not certain how this makes a difference from like normal things, but whatever. Jesse then I mean, like this is a thing. It like splits it up. Like this is true. This is like a well-documented fact that this thing happens. That that they keep the money and the drugs separate. Yeah. I just feel like that is happening anyways, but whatever. So speaking of money, Jesse lowjacks some cash to pose as a buyer so they can track where the money goes next. It works, so Sam and Fee follow the money to a strip club. And of course, Sam is the one that volunteers to go inside, and Fiona inexplicably wants to call sugar in on things. Not that I'm complaining. Right. But that dude There's must be the cast's best friend. There's a random sugar in this episode. There is no reason sugar should get to come back as often as he does. So... But yeah, and you know, he, it's certainly not because he's a capable actor. No, he's he's a nothing man. He, but he he's really trying hard to be a something man. But yeah, he must just be like a really good dude, and they wanted to work with him again because, like, much like how Barry is frequently used in this show, Sugar does not need to be here. There is absolutely no reason that Sugar is the one that needs There's to no get them any of this information. There's like a little bit of a thing later on that it's like, oh, only Sugar could have done this, but. It's not true. They could have done this in so many other ways. But anyways, so Sugar and gets like, there. Once again, I believe I said this the last time that Sugar was here. But like the actor is trying to do Aaron Paul on Breaking Bad so bad. Breaking Bad wasn't a thing at this point, was it? I believe it was in 2010. Or because I remember I remember looking this up. Like the last time Sugar oh, was yeah, on it's, specifically. It started in 2008. Yeah, it started in 2008, and it was, like, starting to pick up steam, like, around this time. And I remember the last time Sugar was on, like, he suddenly kind of had a Jesse Pinkman-esque air to him. And this, once again, kind of feels like that. And I feel like they almost, I don't know if it's the actor or, like, the show. I think they want to make him Jesse Pinkman. Well, I've never seen Breaking Bad. He's kind of, that, well, that's a show where people imagine like tops and as Imagine one of the, the main characters is Sugar. <laughs> But, like, portrayed well. Got it. Perfect. So, sugar, but makes sense that he's there. So, anyway. So, sugar gets to the strip club, is excited to go to the strip club. Apparently, is not even thinking, like, oh, Sam Axe wants, like, my help with the job. He's just thinking, Sam Axe wants to go to a strip club with me. But he gets there. He identifies the top dog that they were following there as Cutler who he refers to as a drug-dealing plague who's new in town with Mexican cartel connections and a dangerous temper. Sugar kind of freaks out because he just wanted to get a drink. 
drink and some titties with his buddy Sam Axe, but Cutler Hello. is actually a really bad guy. Hello, I yes. have da- I have Mexican cartel connections, a dangerous chep- <laughs> temper. I am new in town. <laughs> I was hoping that you would pull something out of the hat there. Thank you. Yeah. Um. And so anyway, so Sugar's like, this dude's real bad. And I think at one point, Sugar got in his bad side. So he's like, he's going to absolutely kill me if he sees me there. But unfortunately, his freak out is a little bit too erratic and is uh, it is lacking grace. So, of course, Carter, a.k.a. the drug dealing plague, sees him. And Sam has to do his drunk guy bit to get his own ass beat before our favorite character, Sugar, gets himself killed. Sugar gets away, Sam gets the shit kicked out of him, and also is made by um, Cutler. So that's... Yeah, but isn't Cutler like, hey, isn't that Sugar? (laughs) Is that Dean Cain? (gasps) (laughs) This episode of Burn Notice brought to you by John Mulaney. God, I wish Lauren would have more to do. So the team circles up with David and Lauren. Lauren doesn't get to talk. But she's there. Like, again, like, as soon as Lauren introduces the boys to each other, she is literally just scenery. She is in a lot of scenes, but has nothing going on. Infuriating. And David is furious with their vigilante antics. Classic burn notice client stuff. They're fortifying the clinic so that everyone's forced to use the front door so that the gang can keep an eye on things. The good gang, not the bad gang. And they've learned that... Carter's deal is that he owes the Mexican cartels back for like the heroin supply that they've given him. So they're going to steal the heroin from Carter to cause strife. And in order to find it, they need to give them something else to hide. So basically the plan is, oh, the reason he's like slinging dope on the steps of this clinic so heavily is because he really needs to like pay back his cartel distributor. Uh, or not distributor, I guess they would be the seller. Yeah, they're the distributor. Yeah, supplier. Yeah, he yeah. Is the, yeah, so he's distributing a lot for the seller, and they need to pay the seller back for their stock. And so the only way to disrupt them and convince them to leave town is to steal the heroin so they cannot make their money back. And the only way to steal the heroin is to give them something that they're going to put next to the heroin. So that's the next plan. I think then Michael ends the I scene believe that like, the plan do you know any veterans? Do you know any veterinarians? You, you put the thing that's next to the heroin, like a box, and outside of the box crawls out a small man, like a contortionist, and then he takes all the heroin. Oh, I was I was hoping you were going in like an Ant Man style. Like this was the first. That also would work. Canonically, Paul Rudd's Ant Man made a debut. This is yeah. That would also be great. Was Paul it's Rudd honestly, ever on this show? I doubt it. I was just thinking that, and I was like, now Paul Rudd was like too successful too early, and so he would never yeah. be on this kind of a show. Which is such a bummer. Was he ever Paul, on a Paul procedural? Rudd would have been a really funny angle. I don't know. What's Paul Rudd up to? What's Paul Rudd up to? What's he been in with Justine Machado? Uh, I'm sure there's some kind of like website that's like, if you just pair up two actors, like, have they ever been in a thing together? I don't know. That's a good question. Yeah, the problem with is. Paul Rudd is that he worked, he was like, he's been working for a really long time. And, like, he got clueless, like, pretty early on. That's true. Um, he did get clueless. And he was a handsome white guy on Clueless. So, as such, he had a lot of opportunities after that. Exactly. Uh, is Strangers with Candy a procedural? You know, it's not. That's one of the things about Strangers with Candy is that it is not a procedural. Uh, he was in Reno 911, which is sort of a procedural. 
It's sort of it's more procedural than Strangers of Candy. I think that he perhaps has not been in a procedural. Yeah, I don't think like he's your been best in a bet was that like he did an episode of Law and Order. Uh, he did not. Yeah, I can't oh, find that's... anything. I think he got too successful too early and like never needed to do guest spots yeah. on procedurals. Because he was also he also yeah. got friends super early, and he's uh was very clearly a comedian from the beginning and. A lot of times, comedians who were in successful sitcoms don't end up, like, who are, like, leads in successful sitcoms, not bit characters, end up, like, yeah. not having to do the circuit. I mean, like, he wasn't, like, a lead on Friends. Well, but he was, like, a love interest. He wasn't a character actor. Yeah. He was also anyway. in a TV series called Sisters and Wild Oats. I have no idea what that is. Me either. Well, that was a that was a fun detour into Paul Rudd's career. Unfortunately, Paul Rudd confirmed has never appeared on Burn Notice. Devastating. Oh, well, certainly not with episodes like this, Mike. So look at us. <laughs> oh, oh, how the turntables! So Sam and Michael then go meet up with Sugar, who is again inexplicably here. Where is Jesse? Did he like the drugs he bought too much? What's the point of having a fourth perma teammate if they're just going to bring in an outside contractor? The conceit, this is the only time that they actually justify Sugar being there. The conceit is that they need Sugar to help Michael out with his backstory by basically like calling his buddies, quote, up north, who uh, can confirm that Michael's new alibi is like a real drug guy. And can be trusted yeah. in drug guy circles. But I guarantee they could have found a way around this. Or at least, like, come up with a slightly different entry point for this alias. There is it's absolutely like, no reason Sugar is here. Who on earth does Sugar know? Like, who is listening to Sugar? If <laughs> Sugar came up to me and was like, hey, can you do me a favor? I need you to vouch for this guy as being, like, a legit guy. Some really violent people are going to ask you about this guy. I need you to say that this guy is legit. I'd be like, shut the fuck up, sugar. Why are you here? <laughs> Get out Why of here. Why are you calling me, sugar? Every time I talk to you, some dumb shit happens, sugar. Sugar, how did you get this number? I changed my number. Who gave you this number? You were in a MLM, sugar. And now I have all this fucking makeup in my garage and I can't sell it because everyone else in my neighborhood also has a bunch of na- makeup in their garage. Fuck off, Sugar. Uh, no, I bet Sugar's MLM is like a Tupperware MLM. Of that course. That seems like more his vibe. Anyways, so Sugar with his Tupperware M- MLM helps corroborate Michael's new, like, alias. And then is he even in the episode from here on out? I don't remember. If he is, it's not memorable. So, and he should also, have showed up at the end in a hospital bed. <laughs> so, and, and also, where's Jesse? Who knows? The only two times we've seen Jesse so far in this episode is, one, Jesse is, he's not in the cold open. Oh, no, he is. He, he, he's in the cold open only so he and Michael can have, like, a very short conversation about, like, we got to get Kendra to buy this back from us. Then he appears uh, to sell Michael on the case of the week. Then he lowjacks some cash. And then is just gone for like 20 minutes. Why is... T- I ugh, This whole episode is so sloppy and I expected better. Um, so Carter- Yeah, it is sloppy. It's like, I'm wondering if this was like a script that like was salvaged from like an earlier season. That Maybe, got like a because rewrite. it definitely does not need to be this season. Like it's definitely an episode that could be in any burn notice season. 
Yeah, And this is what's bumming me out about this season so far is that after our very strong start to the season, something that I remember saying about Jesse in season three that I was like hopeful for is that I hoped that they gave us slightly more diverse storylines for cases of the week, because now that we have a fourth person, you know, a consistent fourth person, theoretically, they could get away with like more interesting jobs and like could do a little bit more. But so far, it's just been like regular, pretty like, boilerplate burn notice scenarios and then Jesse occasionally appears but there has never so far been a consideration of that we couldn't do this with three people thank god we've got four now like that's never actually been the case so far which is a real bummer because I feel like they could be doing so many more interesting things (sighs) anyways so said alias that sugar is helping back up is a little bit of a cocky weasel named Kyle Barkley who is offering Carter fentanyl to cut his heroin with to make it stronger, I think. Again, I am a narc. No one has ever talked about drugs to me. But something about the fentanyl getting combined with the heroin is real cool. Yeah, it's like cutting the... Yeah, that's... You're right. This is what's happening. Perfect. I'm learning. Carter is intrigued, and the girl dancing in the background of Michael's shot looks extremely tired, because they're, once again, at the strip club, because that's his place. Carter's favorite bar is a strip club. And there's not a girl in the background of Carter's shot, but in the background of Michael's shot, there's, like, a little tiny, like, almost like boxing ring, where this one girl is kind of just, like, dancing around. But clearly, because she's just there to be, like, background noise, uh, she's been there for a while, and she seems very tired. And so I hope that they let her go on break after this, because her shoes are very big. Poor and I'm sure very uncomfortable. This scene is a nothing scene. We are introduced to a fairly forgettable, uh, cocky Michael Weston alias, and Carter's like, I'll call your references and get back to you. So then Carter goes off to call said references, and we've got an assassin snatch to get back to. Sam is dressed up as a mall cop. Michael is sure that this is a great plan, which means it's about to go terribly wrong. Once again, where the fuck is Jesse? They have four goddamn teammates, and only two are here to grab the scary assassin lady. She, of course, slips away because of poor planning and insists that she set the next meet. It is wild to me that they were like this lady who like expertly got away from us in like a tiny alleyway in the cold open we only need two of us to actually catch her because she definitely doesn't know what any of us look like yeah she's like a brilliant assassin but i have a mall cop outfit (laughs) and we don't have mall cop outfits in the sizes for jesse or fiona so i guess you guys can just like chill at carlitos and we'll get you when we need you this scene does end on a good joke what's the joke it ends we're like Sam is like, oh, fuck, she got away. And then, like, some guy runs up to him and is like, someone stole shit from our store. He's like, good luck with that. (laughs) In the next scene, Michael eats a yogurt at the loft, and Madeline is mad that her friends, the uh, Justina Machado and her forgettable boyfriend are upset as if she's never seen this stage of one of the gang's plans before. Basically every single burn notice episode is case comes to them, whether like on purpose or by accident. They start a plan to help. The client gets very upset and frustrated or scared. Then everything works out and it's fine. (laughs) Madeline has seen like 80 of these. Have you not noticed that every once in a while, these, you know, random folks off the street get a little nervous about all the spy shit going on. But anyways, Madeline's mad that her friends are mad. As they're talking, Michael gets a call from Carter and has to loudly proclaim that his drugs are the best in front of his mom, who lights a cigarette inside of the loft to spite him and then rolls her eyes and leaves. This I did enjoy. I did enjoy that Michael had to like be his alias on the phone as his mom is like yelling at him for putting good people in harm's way and has to like loudly declare, what are you talking about? My drugs are the best drugs. So yeah, 
points for that. And I if guess. I remember correctly, he said something like, "Like I know what I'm doing. This is all perfectly safe. Like I'm a good boy." Type nonsense. Michael as. Kyle, who is growing on me, because I do like it when they let Michael's aliases have personalities, <laughs> because we're so not used to seeing Michael Weston with a personality. So I, I like Kyle only because it allows Jeffrey Donovan to have a little bit of fun on screen. Um, he sells a sampling of the fentanyl to Carter. Nobody ever explains how they get the fentanyl. There's like a an off joke at the end of a scene where Michael's like, do you know any veterinarians to David, the client? <laughs> but they never reference like how they got truly an absurd amount of fentanyl, at least as far as I am aware. But they have it, and they give a sampling yeah. of it to Carter, who then leaves for his stash house very loudly. He basically is like, we should take this back to the stash house. And Jesse, whew, he's still alive, follows him in a bright blue car, flying in the face of all of the car reconnaissance tips we've gotten up to this point. Predictively, Jesse, though he's very cocky about not getting caught, gets caught because he gets boxed into a residential neighborhood because of course he was following them and he gets away, but just barely. And it's only because he has uh, four wheel drive. Thank God yeah. for four wheel drive. Otherwise, Jesse, there's like a while. This felt like product placement of like, the car of the car. They make a point of like, we definitely see it's like a Hyundai, I think. And like, we definitely like see what kind of car it is and like it's blue and shiny and it looks nice and like it really turns into a commercial where Michael Weston's like in a situation like this it's good to have four wheel drive <laughs> like he might as well be saying like you can find on this Hyundai Sonata or whatever the fuck car it is uh, so you know how I watch different shows when I'm not talking about Burn Notice? So the thing that I recently finished was all seven seasons of The Vampire Diaries. Um, I have a lot of thoughts about The Vampire Diaries, which I really need you to watch so that we can have thoughts together. But one oh, thing honey, that I... I am never, ever going to watch The Vampire Diaries. <laughs> it's not a good show, but everyone has such shiny hair. But one of my favorite I... things about The the Vampire Diaries is that they're, they have truly atrocious product placement integration like there's there's a season finale episode where it's always phones usually it's phones in bones another show that i watched quite a lot uh it, there it's always like car product placement like they're always talking about like this car will get us to our crime scene 10 minutes faster because of its amazing gps but the vampire diaries product placement integration is always about phones and so there's a lot of like glamour shots of characters like texting each other but there's this one finale episode where everything is like terrible three people are dead you know it's it's the vampire diaries everybody's dying and yeah. it, they've been texting each other throughout the episode to like say like hey this person is at this place so you like go break into their house now and stuff like that like it's very tense but all of a sudden for exactly one text message inexplicably while sitting on a couch one of the characters does a voice text and we get to see it in like excruciating multi-shot detail of this character like holding up the phone we see the little thing come to life on the screen he says the text message we watch the text message get turned into like the voice get turned into a text message and then we watch them send it and it's the only time anyone uses speech to text the entire episode but it's so funny because it like it's this very tense scene where all of a sudden he's like hang on we have to leave the house now oh my Send. god it's the it's the best thing i've ever seen i am obsessed with it so i if this is product placement I have to give Burn Notice points for subtlety. I mean, it didn't feel that so. All I know is, I bet if you watch this episode of Burn Notice after they cut to commercial, you saw a commercial for this car. 
I wonder. But yeah, it's it's wild because like their whole thing about following, like we've gotten multiple episodes at this point about how like to successfully follow a person, you need at least two cars if you can spare them. And again, there's four fucking people on this team. You can spare at least one other one and you're supposed to like, you know, pass the car sometimes and then like pick them up at a different intersection and like keeps a safe distance. But Jesse is basically like road rage up against their bumper them the entire fucking follow. It yeah, is no, it is weird. Truly wild. Is it supposed to be like a thing of like, well, Jess- Jesse's new and bad? I don't know because like they're really playing it up these past couple of episodes of like Jesse's a loose cannon. He's too cocky for his own good. But like I thought he was supposed to be like a really good spy. I don't know. I don't don't know know how good Jesse's supposed to be. So David is furious back at the clinic because somebody threw a cinder block through the window with the words you're closed on it. And Michael is no closer to figuring all this out. Michael then Loki kidnaps David because David refuses to close the clinic down temporarily and then takes him to Maddie's house for like holding, which is kind of wild to me because like literally threats of violence are happening right outside the clinic. And like David's whole argument is we are a pillar of the community. Like people need this. Like there are people who have like active medical issues that we are handling like day to day but also people are fucking throwing cinder blocks through your window like that's not a safe place for people it's wild to me that david's like this yeah but david is like no i have to stay open like fuck this dude bring justina machado back in like this doesn't make any sense he's being such a, a fool like it's one thing to not love vigilante justice like that's fine that's a valid position for a client to be taking especially one who is sort of strong-armed into being the case of the week that is an interesting exploration however this guy is just a fool and he's not interesting and i hate him i hate the clients this week and like it's supposed to be like a cut and dry they're the good guys because they're doctors in a low-income neighborhood people and then like the drug dealers are the bad guys but i hate the good guys too so back at madeline's house we have a little bit of a montage where jesse and michael build a remote control airplane together for an improvised drone which is very cute and then michael and sam for some reason go try to use it because the whole thing is that they want to basically do a flyby over the neighborhood that jesse was stopped in allegedly because the (laughs) jesse followed them successfully enough to get to the neighborhood where the stash house is but not successfully not so successfully that he actually knows which house it is which is crazy to me why would the drug dealers who know they're being followed actually lead him to the right neighborhood yeah like are the drug dealers the the dumbest fucking guys i don't think what happened was that jesse that they knew that jesse was being followed no, they had to because they they had people parked on the side of the road to box him in. I think in so they I thought you following. I think the implication is that he's in a drug gang area being suspicious, and so they stopped him. How? But the only way he would be being suspicious is clearly following this guy for miles. Well, no, like whatever. The what end, I'm it saying ends is that being, the guys who got out of the cars acted alone. And there you don't was think no, they were in communication with the driver? They were not in the, communication. And in fact, like... What evidence do you have to support this theory? Because otherwise... A, otherwise <laughs> the thing that you were saying, like, why would he have led him to a drug place if he knew he was being followed? A. And B, I believe something in the voiceover sort of suggests this. Is that, like, if you go into, like, an area where, like, if you're going into gang territory, you're probably going to get stopped. Something like that. I believe there is, like, a voiceover to suggest this. Hmm. 
let me see. Where's the voiceover? Uh, no, the the it is cops use checkpoints to catch drunk drivers. Drug dealers use them to catch people who don't belong in their neighborhood. Yeah, exactly. Mm, that's okay. I will allow that. That's probably what they mean, but it is on the line. That is on shaky fucking ground. No, yeah, I I mean, I definitely. Because also, think if they like, don't if they don't know that he's following them, why is their first instinct to like boxing him in is one thing, but then they immediately like pull guns on him seems like a very aggressive move if it's just like someone who's confused like they could have just like been like hey man i think you made the wrong turn go away yeah it would be i mean i don't think this is well handled but i do think that is the thing that they're trying to go with whatever point being we know what the neighborhood is so they're going to use this model plane with a camera strapped to it essentially to fly over like overhead and see if they can spot anything from the aerial view that might determine which actual house is the drug house um unfortunately jesse is not there even though jesse's the one that built the plane with him i have a suspicion that just the uh kobe bell was like unavailable during this episode and so they had to keep like writing around like well shit jesse's only here for like these three days he's there when we're shooting at maddie's house and he's there when we're shooting uh at like outside the loft but other than that he's unavailable so like he just sort of randomly pops up throughout the episode and then disappears even though he was a part of the planning of the thing right beforehand yeah that's my suspicion because otherwise it makes it makes no sense that jesse and michael build this model plane and then michael and sam go to like fly it um, but they do. So Michael and Sam are doing a very bad job. They can't figure it out. They're like large children, like arguing over, let me have it. Let me try. I can do it better. And then an actual child like rolls up on his tricycle and is like, you guys are fucking terrible at this. And so then the kid basically shows them up to like show them the, like do the drone for them, which I thought was very funny, especially because in the next scene, they're like going through the pictures they took, um, about how the kid is like annoying, but like very talented. And then Fiona's like, why are there all these pictures of the sky? And they're like, oh, the kid was just doing some loop-de-loops to, like, show off to us because he was so good at flying the plane. And I thought that was funny. That was funny. Like, there's a lot of fun little details in this episode. Yeah, that's classic Horowitz. But, like, the macro of the episode and, like, how many balls got dropped at various points, it kind of does feel like something weird happened with production where it got kind of, like, Frankensteined back together because of things outside of their control, because I can't imagine that at the script, like initial script level, this is what the episode looked like. It is entirely possible. Although we said that about the last Michael Horowitz episode, so we need to be careful how many times we say it before it's just like, oh no, maybe it's just like, maybe it is just him. Maybe he got worse. (laughs) It's very possible. It is entirely possible. We love you. I wonder, I want, he did end up listening to the other episode that we did after we talked to him. So I wonder if, because he still follows us on Twitter as far as I know. I wonder if he's just waiting for episodes that he wrote to like listen to those out of some kind of sick fascination because he knows we'll be nice to him. Although and now yet, he knows now we won't. now we're not. <laughs> I want to like your work. We love being your work so, before. We're like disappointed parents. We really are. We're not mad. We're just disappointed. I'm a little mad. Justina Machado was done dirty in this episode. Back at the loft, they officially find the stash house. 
via these like recon photos that the kid took. Um, and then Michael gets another call from Kendra, who is setting up a new meet for exchanging the tape deck or whatever at the docks the next day. And wouldn't you know it, she demands that Michael comes unarmed and alone, which everyone always demands and then no one ever follows through with. Fiona then says that she wishes that their phone calls were as flirty. And Michael's like, she threatened to kill me. And Fiona flirtatiously says, I can do that too. And wanders away. And I liked that. That was really I was a, I was annoyed earlier that, like, Fiona's mad that Kendra's flirting with her. Um, I liked the rest of that scene because that led to Michael being like, this is a bad neighborhood. But, like, I am always a little bit annoyed when Fiona gets jealous because it seems to be coming, like, at totally at random and inconsistently with, like, the rest of the way that Fiona behaves. But, but this one was funny. Yeah, like, this one, they're, like, not treating it as, like, drama. It's like a comedy runner. Right. This isn't like the um, oh fuck. What's Lucy? This 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 isn't like the Lucy Lawless episode where Fiona's like furious that he's bonding with this woman. Yeah. No. It's just a fun joke. It's like a, a somewhat fun joke. It's not the funniest joke, but like you know. But it's it's a good joke. But um, it's fun, so yeah. then we somehow end up back at Madeline's place um, because David is absolutely freaking out. Lauren was caught sneaking into the clinic to get medicine for a kid. (laughs) This is where I put in my notes. Is this a Barrios episode? And she got away safe. Okay. But now Carter is absolutely going to destroy this place to send a message. It seems improbable at this point, but fine. I guess Carter is like really mad. It's about honor, et cetera, et cetera. They call the cops again, but unfortunately the cops suck. So Michael has to go improvise to make sure that like the clinic isn't completely destroyed by the time they get Carter out of town. Jesse then stays behind at Madeline's place to babysit David because uh, again, confirming my theory that I don't think Kobe Bell was like available for anything outside of like two locations this time because the plane building sequence also inexplicably happens at Madeline's house but then anytime they're away from Madeline's house Jesse is not there also Jesse wasn't even in the car with Sam and Fee earlier when they were doing the drug deal he like he's not in the scene at all and then they call him and we get a separate shot of him driving but I think we only ever have shots of him like close-ups in the car and all the far away stuff we don't really see him for so I kind of am suspicious that he was even there that day and they filmed that separately. No, that tracks. That makes sense. See, I'm, I'm piecing it together. I'm Sherlock Holming, Holmings it. Holmings it. Holmesing it. Yes, there it is. I'm Sherlock Holmesing it. Yeah. I will figure out why this episode is so weird. Just give me a chance. Um, then Fiona and Michael get to the clinic just in time to see the attempt to show, throw Molotovs at the clinic. So they sniper rifle the bad guys until they leave. This happens very quickly. Molotovs seem like a very inefficient way of burning down a building, but here we are. Then like, we go- It's a thing that's <laughs> happening in these like scenes wherein we need to like leave it. Like Fee and like a couple other people are being like, okay, but actually they're we do need to stop this now. And like part of the thing with the Molotovs is that they're like watching them about to like trash this place or whatever. And Michael doesn't want to give away their reconnaissance, but then like they're about to throw a Molotov and Michael's like, well, fuck, this is actually going to burn down the building. Yeah, basically. But in any case, this is a pretty much of a a nothing scene. But it's uh, also about this, like, because this is, they're trying to set up the theme trying and failing. 
So they go back to Madeline's place, which means, oh, good, Jesse's in this scene again. And at the dining table at Maddie's, Fiona and Jesse and David advocate for violence over spycraft. But Michael insists that this is burn notice, and he needs this great epi- this to be a great episode of burn notice, because what else will Bree and Chris think? It's certainly not going to be a great episode of television. So then Maddie asks to speak to Michael alone, and it's not a request. Maddie then tells an old story about Michael and Nate and a bully named Todd, fucking Todd, that convinces Michael that David needs to be able to stand up to the bullies himself, which is the first time we're hearing of this, but it's very late in the episode, so I guess this is how we're ending it. So essentially like, the story... Like, the first time we're hearing about, <laughs> like, the brother? That, or David, like... that David needs to stand up for himself. I mean, like... It's a late They're intro tr- to the theme. It's, I think they've been setting it up theme. a little bit. Mm. I disagree. Like, I think they set it up really sloppily. I'll grant. But, like, there have been things that are sort of, like, it's tough because, like, the thing that they're trying to do is that, like, they have a complaining client and they always have a complaining client. And the thing that they're trying to do in this episode is that, actually, no, the client's right. <laughs> but, like. But he's he's fully not. <laughs> We'll but that's the thing is the that, like, scene. that's the problem is that the client actually hasn't been right. Like it's trying, it's supposed to be sort of like, I think the thing that they want to happen is that Michael is really sure about how to do this thing. And it gets more and more away from him. But that, that happens in every burn notice episode. No, but like it gets more and more away from him in a way that like, yeah, that, he cannot do his normal thing. That's the thing that is trying to happen here. And I do think that it is set up in earlier scenes. Like, but it does come a little bit late. It comes a little bit too late. And again, David's not right. <laughs> That's the, like the crux of this is that the client is just being a whiny little bitch. And then and the end. Yeah. But there is also a thing that like, he is right that they are going to torch his place. Sure, but that there's other ways that they can get around that without this being the theme of the episode. He's right that they're going to torch his place and that like that sometimes you do have to brute force a little bit. But brute but, force is not the same as but he has to be allowed to stand up for himself. Yeah, and that's weird. And that's the whole of, theme. It becomes like it sort of morphs from like he has to it sort of morphs from like you can't spy this to he has to do it. And that's weird. Yeah, it's super weird. Do you think that the listeners care what the story with Nate was? I don't. I didn't write it down. I can tell it. No, it's just he was being bullied and then, like, Michael stopped the bullies. But then then Michael Michael left and then they bullied Nate again until Nate stood up for himself. Like, that's it. Yeah, it's who cares? It's a Nate story. Nobody gives a shit. So Michael combines the two separate worlds by pretending that he, as Kyle, got beat up by David, who has also allegedly killed two of uh, Carter's guys and works with special ops mercs and then tells all of this to Carter with a ripped suit and a bloody lip. Now Carter's like, hmm, maybe this David guy is more of a force to be reckoned with than I thought. Somebody did shoot me with sniper rifles earlier today. Then there's some quickie setup and hog tying of baddies while the gang preps David for his big reveal. A showdown ensues. Fee gets to shoot some motherfuckers and explode a whole damn building. And Justina Machado sits quietly in the backseat of a car the entire scene. 
What is the point of her character? We may never know. And in fact, we won't. She should have been the David character. I will maintain that until my deathbed. Maddie and Michael then, well, I guess, <laughs> I guess I should mention at this point, it works. David seems like a big damn hero. And Carter's like, cool, I'm going to leave then. Bye. Then that's the end. David wins. He stood up for himself. You can't see this because it's an audio medium, but I'm using very big dramatic quote hands. Yeah. Because no, he doesn't that, stand up weird. for himself. He has like a bunch of people like coaching him and causing a scene around him. Yeah. And the, yeah, the thing that makes it muddy, it would have been a stronger episode. It wouldn't have been a stronger episode if they straight up murdered these people. Probably. <laughs> no. But like that. I don't know. Like, because, like, yeah, it's weird that it does turn into he needs to stand up for himself. Because he didn't. A fake version of him created by Michael Weston and co. Exactly. Stood up for himself. Yeah, it's, like, weird. It's it's weird and muddy. It's very muddy. Like, yeah. Very, very muddy. The thing is that, like, it actually needs to be about David Less. And it needs to be about Michael being wrong. Yeah, I, I can agree with that. Like, and that's the thing that they're trying to do. But it's like, yeah. It doesn't work. But thankfully it works in universe because we have one little scene where Maddie and Michael go wrap up the doctor's plot line at their newly reopened clinic. And um, then that's it. I, this, this is at the point in my notes where I'm like, he didn't stand up for himself. David forced the gang's hand because he didn't trust them. And Michael's plan was working fine. Because, yeah, again, like, the problem was that David well, kept the, forcing Well, Michael's it. plan wasn't working fine they because, were, like, like, they were going episode, to burn down the building. But they only were going to burn down the building because David wouldn't listen to them about closing the clinic and then sent his girlfriend to get some stuff out of it because they weren't planning ahead because he had to get kidnapped to leave. I mean, like... It was working fine. They knew like, where the stash house was. I mean, it seems like they were going to burn it down regardless. It didn't, though. It was explicitly because he forced their hand and called the police again. Yeah, and that's a problem. It's all a mess. It's all a mess. But thankfully, everyone's fine. The sick kids are getting their sick kid medicine. And end. So now the actual end of the episode is the docks. Michael goes down to the docks to meet with Kendra, with Sam extremely obviously holding a sniper rifle in the backseat of the car. But then Michael But you don't understand. He kind of leans a bit, so it's fine. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, because remember, Kendra told him to come alone or I won't do this deal. But of course, he's not going to come alone. So then, of course, <laughs> Michael parks, but there's a very obvious, like, stack of wood or something. Or, like, a bunch of old boat parts, I guess. Uh, and this also looks like a boat graveyard. I think we've seen this dock before. Because I remember we had a big, long conversation about boat graveyards a couple of episodes ago. Wow, that's um, wild, because I have zero three. memory of it. But I love I the I specifically phrase. remember boat graveyard. We've wow. definitely talked about it before. Regardless, there's, like, a big pile of stuff where it, you could easily park a car. And, of course, that's where Kendra has parked. So, of course, Michael breaks line of sight for Sam. Like, what is their fucking... Pl- I don't... Well, I mean... Sam couldn't the post point up is, somewhere else? Well, because, like, this... Is, well, Kendra did this on purpose. Well, of course she did. But how did they not see that coming? She explicitly told them, come alone. And then she parked in a place where, like, there was no visibility from where else Michael was probably going to park. So why is Sam in the car? Every time they have a sniper lookout, it's, like, on a building, you know, where a sniper can be used. I don't know. Maybe the idea is that, like someone's watching the car 
I don't, I don't and also know. Sam is like really annoyed about it. Like Mike, don't go around that corner. And then of course he goes around the corner because what of is he, he goes to around do? the like, corner? Like yeah, stand very obviously. Like no, you have to come here. You have to come to me, Kendra, for no reason, just because I like the view from here. It's it's extremely stupid. But anyways, um, Michael has a briefcase that he's reinforced slightly because he knows that he's not allowed to bring weapons to the transfer. And Kendra tries to stab him. And then Michael uses his reinforced briefcase to get the better of her. The final shot is Sam and Michael shoving her unconscious body into a trunk and calling it a day. So that was easy. Yeah. That's End that's burn notice. And then that was a burn notice. We did it. We noticed the burn. We did notice it. Did we notice any spy tips? We noticed a couple. Uh, so this first one, I actually combined. So there's a like a kind of vague one at the top and then another sort of vague one from the middle of the episode that I think are kind of the same tip um, and can be considered one complete tip. So uh, let me let me walk you through this. Okay, Number cool. one. Being hunted isn't always a bad thing. When someone's on your tail, you can pick the route. And if you're really good, you can lead them into a trap of your own. And then this combined with the tip, cops use checkpoints to catch drunk drivers. Drug dealers use them to catch people who don't belong in their neighborhood. So I would like to contend that, and this I think is also why I am remembering this tip yeah, I was as gonna being say, a like, combined tip. The thing is, you're combining these two tips into one tip, but they're not the same tip. But they could be. And I, if but, you like, were burned this, could use this as practical using, advice. Uh, I'm putting the pieces together. Because combined, it's a good tip, right? So, but that, like, if you want to, you could lead people into a drug dealer trap? Well, not specifically a drug dealer trap. But, like, basically what or happened is trap? that he, dro- he drove into a neighborhood where it's a one-way street. And you could get your buddies to park so that they can, like, if you... So are you saying that the buddies... Box them in. So, like, so are you saying I'm that saying the that thing they that called we learned in the second tip... Is that how to trap? Yes. Was there not a trap in the first tip? The first tip was find an alleyway that inexplicably has a door <laughs> and go in there and try to ambush. Like there, there wasn't, okay. there wasn't a, because like basically what they do is they go into an alleyway. Kendra goes into the alleyway, obviously realizes it's a trap and then like, climbs up a fire escape I think is how she gets out of it. but like there wasn't that like dip into an alley is not useful however I liked the boxing in trick because it's a one way street in a residential neighborhood so you can't really go fast anyways and it would probably be easy to maneuver two cars to be just like parked on the side of the road because there's limited parking in a suburban neighborhood and then they like as soon as the the actual car is clear they pull out in front of and behind the tailing car and now they trapped and unless they had four-wheel drive, I, they can't get away. Yeah. This is a weird Frankenstein tip, and I don't know how I feel about it. I don't know if I like this precedent. But I could use this information, and it is technically information they gave me in burn notice. I'm just being cleverer, cleverer about it than they were. Okay, I'll do you think it. either of these? Do you think either of these tips on their own would be enough? Because they are both thematically I, about someone is following you. You've got to put get him into okay, a trap. Okay, but that's the thing. And the second tip isn't actually about that. Well, I think it is. And if you no, use it's it not. as such, if you if you use it the, as such, <laughs> then it becomes the a much tip, better tip. I mean, like death of the author, Chris. Okay, if if the tip <laughs> that you're suggesting. Is if someone's following them, you should lead them to like a drug dealer or cop checkpoint. 
will basically make your own checkpoint if you know that you're well, being that's followed. That's not what. Yeah, but the because basically it's like there's when you're being followed, there's two options, right? You can either try to lose them or you can lead them into a trap and then lose them. And if you have other people that are in your organization, friend group, whatever, here is one possible way that you can trap somebody so that you can get away clean and they can no longer pursue you. Here's the thing. On one hand, I want to applaud your ingenuity. (laughs) On the other hand, I hate this. And also feels like in order to make it work, you are misinterpreting the episode. Yeah, but I will not be misinterpreting my ability to stay alive if this ever happens to me in my life, which is the whole point of the practical spy tips section. And I did learn it from burn notice. So I contend that the spirit of the law allows it. I mean, yeah, I guess. I mean, I think that we can get five tips out of this without it. No, I mean, yeah, it's fine. I'll take it. But you're not happy about it. Yeah. Watch yourself, counselor. (laughs) If it pleases the court, I will move on to number two. If you've ever accidentally set up an alarm at a clothing store, you know how radio frequency tags work. Spies use lightweight RFID trackers, too. But instead of catching shoplifters, they're able to tail their targets more effectively. Bounce radio waves off an RFID tracker with a modified digital depth finder, and you can keep tabs on whatever you like without having to get too close. Love a good shopping list. Hell yeah. Number three, mass quantities of illegal drugs can be hard to get your hands on. Word. But it's even harder to come by drugs regulated by the government. Manufactured, distributed, and sold under lock and key. Even drug dealers recognize their value. I, I guess. I don't know. Like the same. Well, so I, for me, I think the, the usefulness of this is that like if you're trying to impress a drug dealer, it's not enough to just say, like, I am also a drug dealer. But if you can get like a specific kind of drug, in this yeah. case, regulated by the government, which is not something I necessarily would have thought of, because, again, I cannot stress this enough. I am a narc. That might be useful to me. Because like I would be a dumbass and be like, hey, look, I have cocaine. I am like you. Um, but apparently that's not as impressive as being able to, like, yeah. show them federally regulated okay. pharmaceuticals. I'll take it. Perfect. Being a narc gets me by again. Number four, making a getaway is often about precise handling more than raw horsepower. So in a hostile situation, rear wheel drive is a nice advantage. So this is, I consider a shopping list thing because I would never, in buying a car, think about rear wheel drive as, like, I... a selling point. I don't want to have this one because I'm pretty sure it's capitalism. (laughs) Well, all shopping list tips are capitalism, Chris. But what I'm saying is if I was choosing between two cars and one had rear wheel drive, I would know I'd have more maneuverability with that. And that's not usually how they like sell you a car, right? It's like you should get the one with rear wheel drive because what if you have to back out of a dangerous situation uh, where people are shooting guns at you? I'm just saying it makes the considerations of purchasing a vehicle a little bit different. I'm so tired. (laughs) I'm truly so tired. I was tired before we started. I'm going to be so tired by the end. Me too, buddy. I can't argue. Sure. That one's valid. They're all valid. They're all valid. I'm going to say all of these tips are good. I think the next two are good ones that you would not even need to argue with, but I'll read them anyways. 
Number five, aerial recon is invaluable in modern warfare if you need to scope out a place that's too dangerous to visit on foot. Using a homemade drone is almost as good as rerouting a spy satellite. Outfit a remote-controlled plane with an infrared camera, and you can get a good look at your target from above. Install an engine cutoff switch, and no one will even hear you coming. Yeah, no, that's fine. Although now you can just, like, get a drone. Fucking nerd. Yeah, now you can just get a drone, but, like, yeah. Numbers and, and say that you were trying we to... Have, in the past, we have allowed spy that. tips that have become obsolete due to technology. Yes, of course. Like, for instance, last week or the week before's uh, portable scanner. Yeah. <laughs> because... Phones can't take good pictures of documents. Anyways, number six, final spy tip of the episode. It's never a nice surprise when somebody pulls out a concealed blade, but there's an upside to getting a look at their weapon. If they're using a Japanese tanto knife, they'd rather stab you than slice you, and you can use that to your advantage. Sure, whatever. Yeah, go ahead. All the tips. I mean, I can justify that, but it seems like you want to uh, get to the end of this episode so we can maybe take a little bit of a break. Wait, you know what? I'm going to give them an extra seven. They got seven. (laughs) (laughs) Oh boy. The energy has really shifted midway through this episode. Uh, So let's, let's get to the end of this episode so that we can give Chris a chance to take a nap or something. So uh, we have confirmed that this episode has at least five practical spy tips. Um, It has seven. (laughs) It has seven. Uh, Chris is having a full-blown meltdown. It's amazing. Um, number two, were was the weekly case solved with spycraft over violence? I mean, it argues, the episode argues that it isn't. Yeah, and that's the interesting thing. Well, like, Michael still kind of wins. Like, he basically marries his current plan with the violence plan, but they still don't actually, like, kill anyone. They, they do that another, well, it's like, not theater like, thing. It's not his current plan. Well, no, it's he was, a new he, plan. He, he, Right, but he but he merged the like existing plan of action where he was uh what's uh, his name? Like the drug he dealer. used his alias in a yeah. new plan. Cause like the plan was to steal So here's their my hair. only argument for it being spycraft is that this is basically a worst version of the Mr. Snaps episode. Because basically they're making David Mr. Snaps. Yeah. Was this the episode? Where they reference Mr. Snaps? They reference Mr. Snaps in an episode? Yeah, I feel like there's an episode, I don't know if it was this one or next week's, someone asks Michael, what do you expect that you're just going to like snap your fingers and these people are going to leave? And he goes, it's worked before. Maybe it was this episode because that kind of feels like it would be more at home here. I don't know. But my point being is it's like, it's very much like violence theater. Which is more of a spy thing. This is true. Here's the thing. This episode wants so hard for it to, to be violence over spycraft. So I'm going to give it to them and then not give them this. Because they want wow. it. Wow. You're about as petty as Michael Weston was allowed to be this episode. Like, that's what they wanted. So they have to, like, get it. <laughs> You're going to shit in your diaper. We're going to make you sit in it. All right. Exactly. Uh, number three, was there a distinct alias? Uh, yeah, you liked this guy. I like him only because it meant that, like, there were at least two Michael Weston scenes where he got to be a little bit shitty. Um, but, like, are you going to remember drug dealer Kyle next week? I mean, week? I'm probably not going to. 
I don't know. You seem to like him, so I was like, oh, okay. I don't know. I feel like he's not really distinct. Like, this distinctness was like, Sugar was there for a little bit. Remember? We've gotten to the end of recording this episode. I legit forgot Sugar was in this episode until Oh, right. Sugar was in this episode. (laughs) This is what I'm saying. It's like, I can't even remember that Sugar was there. I'm not going to remember. Who was in more scenes? Kyle. Sugar or Jesse? (laughs) Technically, Jesse, because there's like several broken apart scenes set at Madeline's place. Like, who has more screen time? I wonder. It's still Jesse. Sugar is in literally two scenes. He's in the intro scene where he's at the strip club, and then he's at a second scene at, like, at a restaurant where they're saying, Sugar, please call your friends in D.C. and tell them Michael Weston or Kyle the drug dealer is a very good drug dealer. Yeah, that that's right. Yeah, you're good. Uh, yeah. I don't know. So, like, no, I, I don't <laughs> love this alias. It's whatever. Yeah, it's not really distinct. Like, there's nothing about, like, he doesn't really have a mannerism. He's just, like, a shitty dude. (laughs) Are Fee and Sam used well? Fee got to blow up a whole building, so I'm going to give that to her. Also, she gets to make a lot of jokes about, like, wanting to violently Yeah, she gets that runner, yeah. And then Sam, what does Sam do? Sam Sam takes a beating for sugar. Uh, Sam dresses up like a mall cop. He does dress up like a mall cop and say and something someone funny. To fuck off, basically. He, vol- he, he volunteers to go into a strip club very excitedly. Real old man horny energy. I'd say so, that he yeah. was peak Bruce Campbell. Uh, yeah, I think so. I think, yeah. So here's the thing. We have spy <laughs> tips. We have Fee and Sam. We don't have Spycraft or Violence and Alias. So it now comes down to the Jesse question. Is Jesse interesting enough to be a main character? I say... No, he didn't no. do fucking shit he in this episode. Nothing. He didn't even need to be. If Jesse wasn't in this episode, nothing would have changed. Not a goddamn thing. Because I can easily see Fiona getting cocky about following somebody with her car and yeah. then, like having to do some quick driving. If you can make sure that Hyundai gets their money yeah. or that like Bernadette gets that Hyundai money, rather. <laughs> so uh, no, yeah, this is not a great no. Bernadette episode. No. Nor is it a great episode of television. Mm-mm. It's a real shame. It is a real shame. Michael Horowitz, let's see. Has he ever gotten a not great episode of Burn Notice? I don't know. I don't think he has. No, I think all of Michael Horowitz's episodes have been great episodes of Burn Notice up to this point. Yeah, and they're usually, were they all great episodes of television up to, like, last time? Yeah. So it was Yeah, because the first, first one was one... the one that wasn't. Wow. Here's what I think mm-hmm. is actually happening. Okay. I think he's a really good writer who's a producer and he is now being employed as a fixer. Like, I think last time he got paired with a new director. This might be like salvaging a weird problem script or something. I think Michael Horowitz has been like promoted a little bit. It might be even a little bit of a Peter Principle situation. What does that mean? The Peter Principle is where you get promoted to your place of incompetence. Like, it's like the theory that, like, if you're good at your job, you get promoted. And if you're good at that job, you get promoted. And the idea is that you keep getting promoted. And the only time that you don't get promoted is because you're not good at your job anymore. So you get promoted to a point where you can't, aren't good enough to be promoted. I think I agree with the first part of your premise. I maybe disagree with the second part. I think I agree that he's probably being employed as a fixer. And I think probably what's happening is that he is no longer able to just be creative and like get an episode. Now he's a part of the machine and has to just keep things running. Exactly. I think that's what's happening. Yeah. 
I don't know. And next we've got, we've got a, our first Craig O'Neill episode since the disputed episode of season three, where oh, yeah. his brother comes into town. Uh, All right. Who's also one of one of our favorite Burn Notice writers. Uh, will exactly. he we'll see. fare better than Frenemy of the Pod, Michael Horowitz? All I right. guess you'll have to tune in next week, folks. There's nothing left to say, but I am dying. And thanks again to Vincent E.L. for our theme music. You can find more of Vincent's music at vincentel.bandcamp.com. And until next week, bye. Bye. I'm so tired.